With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're done losing. But more importantly, it's time for the first episode of the Canes Country Podcast. My name is Brett Finger, senior writer at CanesCountry.com. And I'm here joined by two amazing writers for CanesCountry.com, Justin Lape. What's up, guys? My name's Justin Lape. I cover the Charlotte Checkers for Canes Country, and I'm a mass media journalism student at UNC Charlotte. And Kyle Morton. Hello, everybody. I'm Kyle Morton. I am a journalism student at Fordham University in New York City. Uh, I cover the Hurricanes and do the analytics pieces for Canes Country. And in that vein, I've also recently been hired as Jay McClennan's agent. Uh, so I've been working the phones pretty hard the no, last few days no, no. trying to find work for my client. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a rough few days, but I think I'm, I'm confident we can get something done. I'm glad to be here on this podcast. Let's get going. Are you gauging any interest around the league? Yeah, we've heard a lot from Jim Benning. Uh, Peter Torelli has checked <laughs> in as well. Oh uh, Glenn Sather has, has been blowing my phone up i'm not sure which team he's with now but he seems interested i I think we're gonna get something done i mean i I don't mean to like be breaking any rumors here i know that's not really the most professional thing for an agent to be doing but i'm optimistic well i don't think we could have started this any worse so we might as well get into the first topic of discussion i mean it's been a very busy off season um for the carolina hurricanes and us starting this podcast right here. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to go back and look upon. So let's go back to the NHL draft. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes came into the draft. Lots of rumors surrounding them. Were they going to trade the pick out, the 12th overall pick for Matt Duchesne? Were they going to move it out for Alex Galchenyuk? Well, they didn't do any of that. Instead, they selected Czech center Martin Nichas. So, Kyle, how do you feel about the pick? I like it. Um... There were a lot of guys falling that I didn't expect to fall at the time. Uh, there, VR made it to the pick right before they were up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nichas was another guy. I figured he was pegged for Detroit. He just seemed like a Detroit pick. Uh, you know, shifty center from Europe. It's, it's the guy they always tend to like. But uh, the draft coverage immediately compared him to Claude Giroux, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I definitely see that from the video I've seen him play ever since then. Uh, obviously, you know, you don't want to put too much expectations on this kid. He's 18 years old, and comparing him to a guy like Claude Drew is not really fair, but stylistically, I think that's there. Uh, and I'm excited to see how he develops as a talent and uh, how he translates into the NHL. Well, for me, I think it's interesting because, you know, I, I personally like Suzuki. I wish he would have fell that extra slot to number 12. But I think if you get a guy like Nietzsche's and he is being compared to Claude Giroux, that weight would be worth it. But I just don't think that it's exactly what the fan base or what the team needs immediately. Another project, another wait and see. And, I mean, I feel like he's not a sure thing 
as of right now because this was a weaker draft and he was taking it in the middle of the round. So it wasn't a sure thing. So I'm not 100% sold on the pick. See, here's why I like it. When you look at all the all the farm system, you, you look at defense. Of course, you have the stock defense both at the NHL level and below with Hayden Fleury, Jake Bean, whomever. Um, then you look at the wings. You have Julian Gauthier, who I think is your, your bonafide wing scorer prospect. Then you have Fogel and Smallman, Kukinen too. And you, then you look down the middle. You have Nicola Waugh, who it was a fourth-round pick, had two fantastic years in the queue. But outside of him, there's not a whole lot. I mean, so I think adding that that number one, like, bona fide, he's going to be a top-six player, hopefully, prospect in Nietzsche's, I think it's a smart move. I think, I I mean, he said after after the draft, Francis said that, hey, I didn't want to make all these picks, but he had to because no deals were on the table for him. And, I mean, Duchesne's still in Colorado. Galchenyuk just re-upped in Montreal. So, I mean, when you look at it, I think I think you got to be pretty happy with Nietzsche's and, you know, the lack of a trade isn't alarming to me by any means. Yeah, I thought it was encouraging that they just didn't go one of two ways they could have gone, which was one of them being off the board completely when, you know, so many talented forwards mm-hmm. are falling. Uh, and then, like last year, when they made the bean pick, and obviously that looks a little bit better now than it did back then, but, you know, I don't think anyone would have been super pumped up if they took a, another left-handed defenseman or another defenseman in general, so... I think making the move to get the most highly rated forward left on the board, I think that was the right choice. Uh, at 12th overall, you're never going to get a sure thing, but I, I, I like Nietzsche's skill set, uh, and I'm excited to see if he pans out. Yeah, and I agree with the Jake Bean point. I mean, last year in, in camp, I, I wasn't impressed personally, but I know his foot speed has gotten better, which was one of the things he definitely needed to work on. And, I mean, if Nietzsche's – I mean, he could pay off in maybe two years. We could see him possibly in the lineup. I, I don't know if I'm completely sold on his goal of reaching the NHL by next year. Uh, but, I mean, if it's a product that you can wait and see where it goes, I'm for it then. Yeah, I mean, when you look at him, I mean, in a center prospect, I mean, at, at 12, that's not a bad pick. Because you're looking at a guy, he's big, he's a great skater, he has a great skill set, one of the better offensively, you know, gifted guys in the draft. Uh, you know, I think it's a really positive pick, and it was a good move. But um, moving past the draft, there was a move that confused and upset a lot of people. The Carolina Hurricanes trade Eddie Lack and Ryan Murphy to the Calgary Flames. Back thus the ending their season for next thus year. Thus ending so- the season, it's over. Forget what Justin Williams said. They're going to keep losing. And they got a draft pick back. The return isn't nearly as important. They got Keenan Kanzig, who, large, large child, Dude. large man. Big guy. Large man. But he won't play in the NHL. So, really, you're just looking at Lack and Ryan to Calgary, Carolina retaining half of Eddie Lack's deal. Why should we freak out, Kyle? Uh, because Eddie Lack is a better goaltender than Cam Ward at this point, probably. Uh,. <laughs> The first uh, yeah. hot take of the podcast. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yeah, I think last year, you know, obviously Lack was pretty sub, very subpar. Uh, and then he had the two concussions. And the first, the first time he came back from one, again, he was not very good. Uh, obviously, Ward had that strong run in December. But 
outside of that, it was kind of the same as it's been for the last three years, which is showing flashes and stretches of being at or slightly above NHL average, and then the rest of it just being not what you need out of a starting goaltender. Uh, but then when Lack came back from the second concussion, he was the guy, uh, and even statistically at least. Uh, I think out of the last 23 games of the season, he played 12 and Ward played 11 or vice versa. Uh, but at that point, Lack was over that stretch. He had, I think, like a 925 save percentage. Uh, he just wasn't getting beat more than twice a game, except once, I think. Uh, he was winning almost every time he went out. Came back from that tough injury he had in that collision uh, against Detroit and still battled through that. Uh, I thought I just thought he earned another chance at that point. Uh, you know, some people try to say that that came when the pressure was off and thus that makes that irrelevant. But I, I didn't see the pressure as being off at all. I thought they were right in the thick of the playoff race for a while. And obviously keeping a team in a playoff race is a pretty high pressure situation. So I thought he had another chance. I understand why the front office uh, maybe sees Ward as more suited for a backup role than Lack. Uh, I personally don't see it that way, but uh, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I would have liked to see him get a little more value back, but. With Scott Darling in the mix, it's probably not going to make or break the season next year. And for me, I think if you understand the culture of the franchise, they weren't just going to send Ward packing. You know, I think they're very loyal to their players, so you wouldn't see Ward moved for you know a pity trade like this, which to be honest is a throwaway trade. I don't even think we'll see, uh, you know, him in the. I won't even probably see him in Charlotte to be honest with you. Um, you know, a career ECHLer. Mm-hmm maybe bottom six pairing um but you know we'll see uh but in terms of yeah ward i just i don't think he will be a good fit in a backup role because we've know him to be that type that he takes on nine games and he can get hot over those nine games but then you sit him for a minute and he comes back and gives up five glove side right you know, so it, it'll be interesting to see but i i don't think that ward will I hope that Peters doesn't see Ward as a 1B and instead just sees him as a true backup. Yeah, that's my concern as well. I, I don't know what... I just don't see it with this organization that there's any willingness to commit to anyone other than Cam Ward as the starter. And as long as he's in the organization, I, I think that's always going to be in the back of their minds that that's something they could go back to. I have some differing opinions here. Um, yeah. Oh no, here's, differing here's, opinions. Here's the thing. Cam Ward's not gonna be the starter of this team. It's not gonna be the starting goalie. I don't I don't see that plausibly happening unless something goes completely catastrophically wrong with Scott Darling, whether it's an injury or he comes in and he just forgets how to play the goal. Like I, I can't see it I can't see it happening and I think them trading Eddie instead of Cam is a sign to me that, all right, Scott's our goalie. Because, I mean, you, you you bring in Eddie Lack, and he was never expected to take over the reins and, you know, instantly become the team's number one goalie. He was expected to split time with Cam. And that would mean, in theory, he'd play 40 games. Obviously, I don't think many people would argue with the fact that he didn't get a fair shake. He didn't get the playing time that he deserved. And... You know, he did. yeah, he didn't because, especially with how Cam was playing, it's not like he was earning that job. Granted, Eddie wasn't playing, you know, out of his mind either. But I mean, he still deserved more net than he got. He he didn't get, it. but 
you look through his career, and is there much that suggests that he's a great backup goalie? I mean, because when he took over, and he was splitting time with Luongo and Miller, and he was a big part of a playoff push in Vancouver, and that's when he was getting the net consistently. And I think the organization looks at it, and they say, okay, we see that Eddie is a better goalie over stretches of time. And you're comparing that to playing spot work, playing maybe third 20 to 30 games, maybe 30, probably not that much, with Scott Darling in the mix. And I think they look at Cam, and it's like, okay, you have a veteran goalie who's won before. He's been a starter for longer than he should have, admittedly, but he's been a starter for a long time. I mean, who's better to help bring Scott Darling along? And, I mean, the whole mentorship thing in that role that Cam's going to be in, you can put whatever value on it that you want. Some people view it as a big influence on Darling's. Maybe it won't be. But I think having him, having a veteran in there to help him along as a first-time starter and, you know, playing spot work whenever he needs to, I think he's good enough for that for sure. And, you know, I, I, I... have no quarrel with with the trade. Well, well what I think it, with Marku out as well, it definitely point. takes this big shift. I mean, you could you might want to look at how Cam Ward plays with a new goalie mm-hmm. coach, and you may also want to see how Darling is going to play, play with a new goalie coach. It's definitely going to be something that they have to acclimate to earlier in the season. Yeah, that's another thing with Black though. Is it was pretty obvious that it was pretty obvious that Marku was Cam's guy and vice versa. So. If you want to give if you want to give Cam that shot under a new goalie coach, I don't understand why Lack wouldn't get the same shot. I mean, obviously one of them had to go. I guess it just comes down to how confident you are in Darling's ability to play sixty games and to play sixty games well. Because if you're looking for a backup, like Brett was just saying, who can be a spot starter every every ten days gets a game, then I think Cam's fine for that. But if Darling gets hurt or if he has a stretch where you know, he's not getting the job done, then I, I personally would have felt a little better with Lack because of his track record in Vancouver and making that playoff push and because of what he did last year when he was so dominant for a couple of weeks to keep the team in the playoff race. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a dead horse at this point. And outside of Lack, I mean, there's more to the trade. You know, you see Ryan Murphy on the way out too, and I think there's an interesting story in there as well because you draft a guy in the first round. You bring him along, you develop him, and then it turns into kind of a mess. And Kyle, you have a track record with this person, and I can point out many tweets and articles about it. So, what what's your take on Ryan Murphy? I always I always thought Glee was a pretty fantastically written show. Uh, like you're saying the development the, the hockey with American one? Horror. Oh, I'm sorry. The one what? who plays hockey. Oh, oh, the, the okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. My bad. My bad. All right. Uh, I thought he paired really well with Noah Hannafin in 2015-2016. Their underlying numbers were terrific. Uh, obviously, the results never really followed for him. Uh, you know, he's the type of player that he... It depends what you're looking at when you watch him play. If you're looking at his skating and his passing, then you think, wow, you know, we have another Mike Green on our hands here. But then you watch him in the defensive zone and he, he'll, lose, he'll blow a coverage or whatever. He'll miss his mark. And then you know, that'll lead to the people who are like, wow, this guy doesn't belong anywhere near the NHL. And I think the numbers tell the story that, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh, his possession numbers are always solid, but 
his goals for always lagged behind his expected goals for or his course he shared. Uh, and some of that is luck. Uh, and, uh, some of it is probably also that he wasn't ever able to really fully develop in the defensive zone. And, you know, I think it was, I think it was a really good draft pick at the time. Uh, he never really recovered from that brutal hit he took from Tom Kunakel uh, in his draft plus one year. Uh, and that concussion kept him out for a couple of months, I think. And it never, it seemed like he was never really the same player, even in juniors after that. Uh, so, I thought he was a great prospect. Uh, very unfortunate how it ended out. Uh, he's in Minnesota now, so I hope he can figure it out there. But I guess that's all I have to say about that. The great Ryan Murphy, Eric Stahl reunion we were all looking Finally. forward to. Finally. I think what the team wanted out of Murphy was they wanted their power play quarterback in the future. And you saw his skating. You saw his talent at the OHL level. You saw it carry over to the American League. And all of those numbers would suggest, okay, this is a future NHL power play quarterback. I mean, he was a good puck mover, great skater. But again, branching off what Kyle mentioned, the concussion that he suffered in junior to Tom Kunackle, that had to play a role in, you know, where his development ultimately led. Because when he got to the NHL, his defense, he couldn't cover a man in his own end. He never used his body. I mean, not that he's a big guy, but... He never went to the corners. He never did anything. And maybe his him avoiding the corners and avoiding body, you know, physicality may that have something to do with his head injury. Who knows? We certainly don't. But even his shortcomings would have been acceptable to an extent if his offensive production was what we expect it to be. And it never was. He didn't score goals. He, I mean, he... He turned the puck over. He, you know, he he was just what he just wasn't what was advertised of him coming out of the draft, and whether that's because of the hit, who knows? But he never produced in Carolina, and with so many right-handed defensemen coming up, Pesci, Falk, of course, you bring in Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and when they did that, it was like okay, Murphy's time is one hundred percent done because you're kicking him out of the lineup completely. So. You're not going to see me upset about Murphy. I hope that he gets it together and plays well in Minnesota. I hope that he has many lunches with Eric Stahl. I hope they have a great friendship for the foreseeable future, but it just wasn't going to work out in Carolina. Uh, Obviously, we just discussed one of the elite players in the NHL. Uh, Another one today signed an eight-year, $100 million contract, and that's Connor McDavid. Uh, So I think we should touch on that for a little bit. Oh, man. What a saint that Connor McDavid is, huh? Uh, I'll only take 12.5. You know, I won't take the 15. I'm saving the hometown, I'm, discount, the hometown right? discount of 12.5 million dollars. What a guy! It was a very Canadian process. Like I'm, I like to imagine Shirelli sitting down at the negotiating table and be like, "Okay, Connor, you're the best player in the NHL. We think you're going to be that and the most valuable player in the NHL for the next 10 or so years. As such, we want to make you." the most highly paid NHL player on an annual basis in history. We're offering you, as our starting offer, $14 million. And then I like to imagine Connor being the nice, polite boy that he is, hearing that and going, oh, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to be so gosh dang good at hockey. <laughs> Just $12.5 million. And then that's how this deal happened. He's a good boy. It was like a reverse negotiation. So They're good boys, Connor. I have a... I have a big question for the both of you. Oh, good. And 
This is going to be full of hot takes. Do you think statistically Connor McDavid can be better than Sidney Crosby? Yes. Not in terms of cups. Absolutely. I'm talking about on a regular season point producing basis. Do you think he can be better Ooh. than Sid? Uh, it's, I think it's less of a matter. It's less of if and more of when. Because, I mean, point production, he's already surpassed Crosby and. I, I don't see McDavid really relinquishing that unless he gets injured again, which that would be awful for not only the Oilers, but for the game. I don't see Crosby overtaking him again, especially whenever they get Dreisaitl locked up. He's not going to be offered shit. Yeah. The, the aging curve thing isn't, isn't in favor of Sid mm. in that comparison, really. Though when Sid was younger, he did play at a little bit of a higher scoring era, and I think he had that one... 123 point season i'm not sure if it's possible for mcdavid to get that high uh with the way the game is played now but he's just a much more offensively dynamic talent than crosby is and i I personally think crosby is a top 10 maybe top five player of all time so that's not something i'm saying lightly at all uh but he just he blows you away every time he's on the ice and there's no one who can defend him when he's going well and so the so the 12.5 is justified oh yeah he deserves, yeah. he deserves 15. He deserves the max. But right now, I think Crosby's still the best player in the game, in the league. And when I think when you just, when you factor in everything, I think Connor McDavid's the most dynamic offensive player, and he's going to put up the most points, and he's going to do that for 15 years, probably. But I think McDavid is still the best overall player in the game. That's how my eyes see it. You mean Crosby? Fuck what I say. <laughs> yeah crosby that guy he's better yeah the one thing i do want to point out about mcdavid being willing to take a pay cut is that in theory it's nice that he's taking less to help his team be better but in practice what he's really doing is giving peter Torelli, who one of the best general managers in the nhl right now i think i think we can all agree but what he's going to end up doing with that money is like he'll probably give corbinian holzer Next offseason, a three-year deal worth a million and a half with a full new no-movement clause. So if that's what Connor wants, then great. But I, I'm not completely sold on g- giving Peter Trelli more money to stop being a good thing. I don't think team. we should ever talk about the Oilers again. Yeah, we're going to have to pass We're going to have to. You know what? Corbin Holzer, give him his give him his due. You know, he's a... He's a he has upside. He has, he's a all-star. You know what? He's like Ryan Murphy. You know, he just wasn't handled correctly. Or he's like Eddie Lack, he wasn't handled correctly. He has a future. One day he'll be good. But you know who's going to be good now? Justin Williams, who signed a two-year deal with the Carolina Hurricanes at 12.30 p.m. is when they announced that on July 1. They announced that to the red and white game. All the, the crowd went nuts. It was a spectacle. And um, Kyle, when you look at Justin Williams and what he brings, what makes you excited about the deal, do you have any uh, uh, skepticism about it? I really don't. Um, you know, Williams was always one of the guys on the on the team back in the cup year who was pretty reliable and consistent. Uh, obviously, he won a Conn Smythe with L.A. in 2014, uh, went to Washington, and a lot of people thought he was going to be the guy that tipped them over the top in the playoffs. Uh, he only spent two years there, and obviously it didn't work out because they ran into some pretty incredible Penguins teams, but... Uh, I think he did probably did. Obviously, I have no way of knowing, but 
I would venture a guess that he did a lot to at least help the culture in Washington. Um, he certainly gave it his all uh, against the Penguins in that series. I remember him being noticeable in a good way. Uh, 52 and 48 points the last two years, uh, so he could certainly still produce. Uh, I think if he plays on the line with Rask, I think that'll be a good way to mitigate the trouble Rask had with driving play last year. You mean uh, when he disappeared Williams... for half the year? Yeah, that 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 little problem that happened. Mm-hmm. But you know, a guy like Williams, uh, could, you know, when Rask isn't producing, having a guy like Williams on his line could at least tilt the ice still with Rask out there. And I think that's a good thing for Victor. And I think uh, that'll help his development. Uh, it, it'll it won't hurt anybody to have Justin Williams on this team. He's who would you have on the other wing? I would I would lean toward Tara Minen being there. So I, I I have a line in my in my in my brain. And I'll let you finish, but um, Justin Williams on the right. He's a great Corsi player. He drives possession. Very good Corsi share. Wonderful guy. Good hockey boy. In the middle, you have Jordan Stahl, also a tank, and I think combining those two is probably the way that they'll go because I don't see breaking up Derek Ryan or Jeff Skinner. Or Derek Ryan just getting really sent me back. I don't think it's going to happen as much as I might want to see it happen. But they produced well down the stretch, and I think they should stay together to start the year, especially with the lack of you know adding another top nine center. Um, depending on what you consider Marcus Kruger, who we'll get to. But um, Jordan Stahl, Justin Williams, and I think Sebastian Ajo, I think would be a great fit on that line because you're talking about two guys that or Jordan Solis will open up ice like crazy. Justin Williams can do anything in the offensive end. He can shoot. He can facilitate play. He can pass the puck around. And I think that sets up Sebastian Ajo really well because you're giving him two really talented players. And I think, really, you get the same result from Terravine in two as, as Ajo. I think you know it serves the same purpose. Those two open up space and move the puck well, and then that can kind of leave Terravine and Ajo to do what they do, which is make good, skilled plays. But... Um, I really like the idea of at least trying Ajo up there because he played so well with Jordan Stahl last year. I think they like Ajo, Stahl, and Lindholm a lot, mm-hmm. and I don't blame them. I would be a little apprehensive about loading up Ajo, Stahl, and Williams because that's kind of that might be all your big play drivers. And if you do that, and then you leave Skinner, Ryan, and Stepniak on the third line, that leaves you with Teravine and Rask and Lindholm, and with Lindholm's value as a playmaker at even strength showing so strongly last year, is is playing him with Rask and Teravine and really giving him enough finishing talent around him? And also, do you trust any of those three to drive possession on a line? I guess that would be my reservation. Uh, I like Lindholm a lot, so I think that could be a good line, but I think Ajo, Stahl, and Williams may just be a little top-heavy. I, yeah, but I see that. And I like Teravine, and I mean, we've seen him drive play, but you're right. I mean, he can't drive play on his own. I feel like Jordan Stahl is more capable of that, and maybe Justin Williams is too. And that 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 Ajo Stahl uh, Lindholm line was dynamite last year. So that's another so line possibility. They were great. They were so good because you saw Ajo with the skill on that line, just like the pure skill doing what needs to be done in the offensive zone is really impressive. Then Lindholm as your primary playmaker. And then Jordan Stahl opening up room again to the front of the net. And, you know, all of them were really effective and they gelled really well together. Justin, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think that's definitely one line you got to keep together. But, you know, I would like personally, I'd like to see uh, Jeff Skinner, Derek Ryan, and 
Justin Williams line. I think it would be very interesting. Yeah, like you said, you know, in terms of Williams driving play. Um, but then, you know, there you've Skinner in that situation. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be great. But I mean, it all depends on where you see Kruger. I mean, Kruger would probably be what the four C. Mm-hmm. That's why I would see it. Yeah. Corsi. Yeah, so, Corsi. The Corsi. Yes, Corsi. <laughs> but no, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, on an Aho line would, would definitely be a nice touch for a young player. You know, the leadership Williams will bring. But I think one thing that no fan should really worry about is the cap hit. Um, you know, that was one thing you saw in a few articles where, oh, it's a very steep price for leadership. But at the same time, you know, you, the need to get to the cap floor was something we already had to do. So the 4.5 to me is not something I particularly worry about. And that's kind of a man too, because they're not bringing him in just to be a leader. Like, he's still a very, very good player. Yeah, still a very productive player at this point in his career. And, you know, I think I, I read those same pieces that were kind of criticizing the cap hit. And then I read uh, Wyshynski's top five free agency editions, and he was number one. And he even noted that the cap hit doesn't matter because, one, I mean, that's not four and a half per. I mean, that's not a bad price for Williams and what he brings both on and off the ice. And they needed that contract in part to even reach the floor. And you're looking at it, it's a two-year deal. And that doesn't get in the way, really, of any contract extensions that they'll need to put out there. Yeah, and I think one thing, we're sitting here talking about where he would go in a lineup. But the thing is, Williams is a type of player that he makes everyone around him better. And he would fit in any type of situation. So I I think it's a very good contract as well. Yeah, he fits everywhere. I, I don't think you'll find anybody that says that this is a bad deal. But there has been a little bit more... Some, some some disagreement, uh, I'll, I'll say, about Marcus Kruger being added to the Carolina Hurricanes in exchange for a 2018 draft pick, fifth round, I believe, from the Vegas Golden Knights. Marcus Kruger, Justin, yay or nay? Good deal or no? I say yay. I think he's a substantial upgrade over, um, you know, one of the Hurricane greats, Jay McClement. I know Kyle I can attest to that. you. Um, but no, I, I like, you know, for the term, you know, giving up a fifth round pick, I'm not too worried about that. You know, at least you have a player that's going to step immediately into the lineup instead of a fifth rounder that may develop into something may not. Uh, but for me, it's a yay. When we set out to the off season, what everybody's hope was, was we're going to get a top six center to help offense and I think what they did instead was and I think was a brilliant move after you know meditating on it is they added a guy who comes in and he's undoubtedly a big upgrade over McClement you see the way that he suppresses shots plays the penalty kill although admittedly different penalty kill schemes in Chicago and Carolina but I have no doubt that he'll be just fine in that role I think he only makes it better and I don't know. I think his offensive numbers aren't as bad as they would suggest. And, you know, he's been in a bottom six role in Chicago. And, you know, he's going to be in that role here too. But I, I don't see him as a liability anywhere. I see him as a really good shutdown centerman. And I think an underrated part of it is that that's two shutdown centermans now. You have Jordan Saul and Marcus Kruger. 
And if you're not going to acquire a top six forward, I wrote about this a couple of days ago, if you're not going to acquire him, a, a bona fide top six forward to help scoring, you free up Jordan Stahl. And I think the deal to bring in Kruger helps that because you're bringing in a guy who can also play against really tough competition. So it's no longer just Jordan Stahl who goes up against top six of the other team or, you know, the Crosbys of the world, you know. So you bring him in, you split the tough uh, the tough uh, assignments defensively, and that opens up Jordan Stahl to be more creative offensively and more aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with Kruger, you know, analytically speaking, he was like, he's an extremely unique case because there's not really a player in the league that has seen the deployment that Chicago was putting him through the last couple of years. I think his zone starts uh, last year was, I think, 75 or 76% defensive. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was with crazy. And the year yeah. before that, it was actually 81. And last year, I tweeted this out uh, a couple days ago, uh, but out of 376 forwards uh, who played at least 400 minutes at 5-on-5 five five last year, Kruger was 11th in shots shots on goal share for relative to his teammates. So despite getting absolutely buried in the defensive zone every time Joel Quenville sent him over the boards, he was still outperforming his teammates, you know, Taves, Kane, Panarin, uh, Rasmussen, Anisimov, Panik, all those players who, you know, uh, are the guys who we hear about driving play for the Blackhawks. He was outperforming them despite being buried and despite facing top competition. Uh, so... It kind of feels like Canes finally now have an answer for two-line teams, like you were saying. Like uh, prior to this trade, it was always Jordan Stahl uh, who would be asked to face, you know, the Ovechkin line or the Paris line. But now, you know, if you're playing Pittsburgh, you can put Jordan on whichever one, Crosby or Malkin, and put Kruger on the other, and then you're gonna have a much better chance because, you know, for years it was always been back before the defense got good. Uh, it was always, oh, any team with an elite forward is going to have their way with the Canes. Like, you remember John Tavares circa 2010 and 2012, 2011, that era. He would have three or four points every night. Now that the defense has improved, that hasn't been the case so much. Uh, it's been more balanced teams that have done well against the Canes because up front, they haven't had the defensive personnel beyond Jordan to match anyone. Now it kind of feels like they found that medium with Kruger where, you know, you have two lines every night that you can trust against an elite forward and you have a defense that you can trust against elite forwards. And especially now that you have a fourth line and a bottom pairing, you know, with Trevor Van Riemsdyk and Hayden Fleury, you know, the possibilities are kind of endless. Like there's not really a point where I feel like the Canes are going to be overmatched or able to be taken advantage of with the matchup this year. And that's never been the case. So I think that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, really all this is, is it's adding defensive defensive depth in the middle of the ice which again it just opens up stall to be more effective and you know the i think what we've seen out of jordan here here in carolina i think we can see i think he has a higher offensive ceiling than maybe a lot of people would think so i think you know bringing in kruger and then also on the fourth line josh joris helps that because you bring in another player who is kind of glued to the bottom six and Josh Joris comes in at seven hundred thousand, incredibly cheap deal, and that, yeah. the the only people who are upset now are Brock McGinn, Phil DiGiuseppe, Joachim Nordstrom, who are like, oh no, we really have to compete for this final job on the fourth line because when you because Joris and Kruger, they're they're 
on the fourth line day one. I have no doubt about that. Joris might be a little bit more of a competition, but Kruger for sure is there. I think Joris makes it too. But you throw in a three-horse race pretty much, and two of them have one-way deals in McGinn and in uh, Nordstrom and we'll see what happens with DJ Seppi. He's still an RFA who is qualified, but it, as you see it now, who takes that final fourth line spot Kyle? And when, when was the last time the Canes going into camp had 14 forwards that you could look at and say, had experience in the NHL of being a successful player instead of having, you know, a Jeremy Welsh type penciled in as your third line center. Jeremy oh, brutal. Welsh. Oh, man. Please don't bring that up. Rutherford loved him. He loved him some Jeremy Welsh. He spoke so highly of that guy. Where is he now? Yeah, he's well, a top six center in his eyes. Analysis to Jeremy Welsh. My, point, my general point is that it has always been with this team relying on prospects who hadn't proven anything to be ready from day one to have a full-time NHL role. And now at this point, it almost feels like there's not even room for a prospect, even if they blow the doors off in camp. Like, I mean, I yeah, guess for for me that one specifically is Sorella. I mean, he tore it up as soon as he got in the AHL, but now you're wondering where does he fit in this lineup? Because to me, it doesn't look like top nine and really fit in a fourth line role because it's just not the type of player he is. And yeah, I mean, you look at the Ford court and piggybacking off of what you said, there's no room unless you make more trades and you add more players or take away more players, there's no room for prospects to compete up front. And quite honestly, I think that was a great move because you're adding players who you know can play. When you're trying to make the playoffs, there are exceptions, of course, but it's not smart to just say, okay, there's a couple fourth-line spots open or bottom six or top six or whatever, and you assume that a prospect is going to come in. That happened a lot under Rutherford. Drayson Bowman, Zach Boychuk all played top nine minutes pretty frequently in Carolina at times. There, there was also the year where, there was the year where he penciled Zach Dalpy mm-hmm. into the second line mm-hmm. before he'd even played an NHL game. I remember that. And, yeah, it's just it, – it wasn't even solely a Rutherford thing either. Like, it happened under Francis recently, and, like, I don't think that was always something he wanted. I think it's just been a gradual process of building depth. Uh, like, last year – Obviously, they were relying on Ajo to come in and fill a top six role, and that worked out because you know Ajo's a great player and a great prospect. But it's still the same general concept. Now it's completely like everyone who is competing for a spot, barring you know a Kukinen or a Sarala or a Gauthier blowing the doors off in camp. Everyone competing for a spot has proven something at the NHL level. Yeah, and when you look at the top nine, I'm pretty sure it's kind of set in stone. Because they didn't go out for yeah. the center, and obviously they're bringing back Derek Ryan. He's going to remain to be in the fold. So in terms of top prospects, like even like Kukin or Gauthier, I don't see – I mean, they're not going to put him on the fourth line. So, I mean, when you look up and down the lineup, there's really 14 guys, like you said, competing for 12 spots. I, I, I know. I mean, I like the idea of like prospects competing, but I think Carolina's relied on that too much in, in the past. Instead of, and, and granted, they weren't in, well, I can't really speak for Rutherford because I don't know what the hell he was doing for parts of his time in Carolina. Although he, you know, he did a really good job given the resources he had. But. <laughs> don't forget. That. Don't forget. He did a good job. Don't let anybody else tell you that. Tell you anything different. But, yeah, I think it's a 
it's between DiGiuseppe, McGinn, and Nordstrom for that final spot. I think I think it's a toss-up between McGinn and Nordstrom, honestly. They're both getting one-way NHL money. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm not too passionate about either one of them. Give it to McGinn. Yeah, Peters loves them. Give, give it to McGinn. I don't, I mean, McGinn will hit people. That's good. Nordstrom p- kills penalties, though. It does. It's not going to break. It's not going to break or break the team either way. Like they're both, fine. they're both fine fourth liners. Yeah, I mean, even at the penalty kill, I mean, I'm sure Joris can play penalty sure. kill. Oh, the notable signs around the league. One that made me laugh hysterically: Patrick Marlowe to the Toronto Maple Leafs for three years. I believe that cap Brutal. is six and a half ish. Yeah, that was a curious one. See, not only is that stupid, in my opinion. They they gave a thirty seven year old a contract until he's forty. Actually, he's going to be mm-hmm. thirty eight by the time the season starts. So you're giving a thirty eight year old like top line money or top six money. And when you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think it's incredibly possible to see Marlowe be playing third line minutes. So you're paying n- nearly seven mil for a player who's going to be in your top nine. And Carolina did the same thing, except they paid Williams much less. Like two million less, and he's younger. And on a shorter deal. Yeah. Is and did Marlo get? A, and he's better. Did, yeah, he he's is better. And did Marlo get a full no trade? Uh, it may be a modified. I'll look. It might have been no move. Someone will correct us if anyone listens to this. But doubtful. <laughs> I think I think he's going to be penciled in with Matthews and Nylander. Uh, but I think Mike Babcock really liked Zach Hyman in that role for better or worse last year. So I think it might be harder than. They think to unseat him there. Uh, and that JVR Bozak Marner line is pretty set in stone as a second line. So I think there is a realistic possibility that he ends up with Bozak and Komarov on their third, or Kadri and Kom- Bozak's there too. Sorry. Kadri and Komarov on their third line. Uh, which, if that's the case, then I mean, that's nice. That's a really deep top nine. Uh, but you're paying a guy who's going to be under contract through when Matthews, Nylander, and Marner all need extensions or new deals. Uh, it's just a little risky, especially after you already gave Zaitsev a long-term deal. You gave Matt Martin a long-term deal. You gave Frederick Anderson a long-term deal. Some of those deals are better than others, but you're tying up a lot of money uh, when you have three absolute core franchise players up. Uh, I think they'll find a way to get it done, but I think they're making it a lot harder for themselves than they're going to want it to be. Yeah, and then just a, li- a list of players who have expiring contracts while Marlowe's under contract. Uh, JVR, Bozak, Komarov. Uh, Dominic Moore doesn't matter. Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitchell Marner, Josh Levo, Connor Brown, Connor Carrick, Martin Marinson, Alexi Marchenko. Marinson and Marchenko. Talk, are, about eh, but... Talk about a team having options on the wing. Yeah. And Connor Brown and Josh Levo, really good players who probably should have been, and Kasperi Kapanen. Mm-hmm. You know, all three of those guys should be playing in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, they're all good players, and only one of them will probably make that lineup, which is pretty crazy. Uh, just because solely because Matt Martin's there and God. Zach Hyman, and now Patrick Marlowe's there, so you know it's a little curious. After they went so hard at you know stockpiling all these young forwards and assets, and now they're blocking some of them with older guys or less effective younger guys. It's, it's a little bit interesting. You know what team worries me in terms of where they're going and if they're getting better or worse. It's the Washington Capitals. They just signed Evgeny Kuznetsov to a monster deal, 
apparently he was threatening to bolt for the KHL. Um, but they signed him to a big old deal. And where's the money? They don't have any more money. And whether they're moving out of Ovechkin, which is a we'll see. There's, there's no reason to believe that's actually going to happen. There are expiring contracts that they have to deal with. They also signed um, uh, Burakowski, I think, to a uh, $3 million a year deal. Yep. I think they're a team that's getting worse. When you when you look at teams in the division and you see Carolina getting better, I think Washington is one of those teams that is going to start to get worse. Oh, yeah, for they're... sure. And I think the reason why they're going to get worse is that they have no cap flexibility. I mean, the, the, the number to me that stands out is not so much Kuznetsov. I mean, it, it's high, but the upside he potentially brings, you know, He's I guess that's now. the going rate. That's the going rate. But in terms of the Oshi contract, that's what makes me sit back and cringe a little bit. And I think it's just going to get worse and worse as the farther we go along. They have a lot of the Orpic. Brooks Orpic. Yeah, Brooks Orpic. They have 5.5 <laughs> in Orpic, 5.75 <laughs> in Niskanen, 5.1 oh, in Orlov, gosh. 7.8 in Kuznetsov, 5.75 for 45 years in Oshi. That's that's tough, and not to mention the nine and a half Ovechkin carries. Yeah, six point seven on Backstrom too, right? Yep. I mean, obviously he's worth you know Backstrom. He absolutely is, and I think honestly, I think Kuznetsov is worth seven point eight now. I I think he's a fantastic player, but you know it's kind of like the the team building without a plan. Like anyone could have told you from the second they signed that Orpic contract that that was going to cause problems for them. And now we've seen that come to fruition with them moving Marcus Johansson for nothing. A guy who put up like almost 60 points last year. Yeah. Like he, he's a he's a legitimate top six forward. And quite honestly, I was surprised Carolina wasn't in on um on uh, Johansson for that price. Yeah, I think I think Washington might have seen New Jersey as a little bit less of a playoff competitor than the Canes, but who knows? Maybe Francis wasn't in at all. Alright, so Francis says they're done. "Quote unquote, no, no more moves in the hopper. So when you look at the team, is this a playoff team? Is if have these moves? How have they affected you, Kyle? How have they affected me? Uh, well, I'm sleeping a little less at night physically. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, I think they're a playoff team. Uh, I think as long as Darling stays healthy and somewhat replicates what he did last year, uh, that'll fix the starting goal sending problem. I think Kruger." Uh, we'll do enough to solve the problem of the fourth line getting absolutely manhandled every night. Uh, and I think TVR and Flurry are going to be quite the upgrade over Dahlbeck and Tennyson as a bottom pairing. And I, I, I just think the bottom of the roster didn't get quite enough blame for where things went wrong last year. You know, everyone wants, wants to point at, you know, not having an elite scoring talent. But uh, I think only Minnesota had more top more had more forwards with uh, 40 points than the Canes had last year. So I think the bottom of the roster, you know, if you get a little more offensive production and you get guys who can, you know, get maybe more than a 30% Corsi share on a nightly basis, then you're, you're going to win more games and get more points in the standings. And then that's, you know, getting off to a good start, too. Like, as long as he's not over, they'll be right there. Justin, look at the moves. How do you feel about it? I think, ultimately, I think this is a more balanced roster going into the season. 
um, you know you didn't get that one seed you wanted. But I think ultimately the team definitely going into the season is much better. I think if you just at least get a slightly above league average goaltending from Darling, you're going to see – I mean, this team's going to do wonders compared to what they did last year. You, fringe playoff team last year, but I think that they get into a wild card position this year. Um, I really like TVR on that lower pairing. And, again, Flurry was one I've been watching in Charlotte. And, I mean, his reach is really going to impress you. Um, he's really good at manhandling, you know, forwards and stuff like that. But, ultimately, I think this is a playoff team. I have to agree with that. You know, and at least when I look at this roster, it's it's definitely a playoff quality team. You know, they they added the pieces that I think they needed to add when you – look up and down the roster you have the top six you have you have your goal scorer in Skinner and I think as the summer goes on and we get closer I think more people are going to start talking about Sebastian Ajo and the 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 potential that he has to really make a jump this year I think people are going to start talking about it more because when you look at the season he had I mean most other years this is a Calder candidate you know I mean at least a top three Calder finalist because I mean 50 points 20 I'm sorry, 49 points, 24 goals, 25 assists in 82 games. He played a full year, didn't get hurt, scored at a very good pace, especially from game 20 on. When he scored his first NHL goal going forward to the rest of the year, he was explosive, had 17 power play points. I think he's a guy that takes a huge step forward. And when you kind of do the math on how many goals this team might score, I think you have to add a few more to Ajo because I think the – his production is only going to go up. When you bring in Kruger, Jurish to the bottom of your lineup, that's stability, that's defensive help. Um, again, it's adding more offense to Jordan Stahl's line. And I, I also like the TVR trade a lot because he played bottom pairing in Chicago, and he's going to do it here too. And, you know, I mean, if he needs to step up in case of injury, I think he's going to be capable of doing it. And I'm really excited about Hayden Flurry too. And we're going to talk about him and so many other things this summer on the Canes Country Podcast. Episode one in the books. Quick Easter egg. Quisty, quick Easter egg. If you listen to this episode backwards, you oh will hear Ron Francis's plan for the upcoming Leon Dreisaitl offer sheet. So be sure to do that. Leon Dreisaitl is going to be next year. You can mark it down. Don't listen back. Thank you guys so much, uh, Kyle, Justin. This is a fun time. I'm sure it's only going to get better from here, right? It's not. It can't get worse. Sure can. We'll see. We'll. I doubt it. Let's let's we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get to it. Everybody, thank you for listening to episode one of the Kings Country podcast. We'll talk to you later.